Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you with information that empowers you to make better financial decisions in your life. One decision I guarantee you have my personal guarantee will be good for your wallet is to sign up for one of our free newsletters. Just go to clark.com newsletters and see what we have to offer you to help your wallet grow. Today, I'm going to begin with something that is so frustrating. And we get so many complaints and questions about when you have a denial on a health insurance claim if you have health coverage. Another thing that's been so frustrating for home buyers is how do you buy a first home? I'm going to talk about that straight ahead because it is frustration to the max for a first-time home buyer today. So you get a denial from a health insurer saying that a procedure was not authorized or they disagree with blah, 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 could be a lab test, who knows what. And so you try to appeal. And by the way, most people just say, ah, well, and they just pay the bill out of pocket, whatever it is. What I want you to know is don't be a wallflower. Don't just say, okay, they said they're not going to pay. Uh-uh. You need to get started with appeals. And with health insurers, let me tell you how clear it is how an appeal process works. Clear as mud. The whole game with the health insurers is to ignore your appeal. And I hear from people again and again, they'll be told they have to do something from prehistoric times They have to fax in paperwork to appeal a denial. Fax? Seriously? I mean, in 2023, what kind of company would tell you you have to fax something in? Idiotic. But what they're doing is they're trying to make it as difficult as possible for you to do anything about standing up for your rights. So... There is no roadmap. You know how I like to say, do this, do this, do this, do this, and that's how you assert your rights? With a denial by an insurer, remember, it's a whole cynical process from the insurer. What you have may perfectly be valid, or it may be in a gray area, and they're going to deny it and make it opaque, make it nearly impossible for you to know how to fight back. You've got to use every strategy you can so start by humoring them and if they tell you you have to fax in figure out how to fax you can add a faxing app on your smartphone you scan them in and you fax unfortunately you're going to have to pay almost always for one of those fax services 
costs you a couple of bucks to send in the appeal. But the good thing is it'll show whether the fax was received or the fax failed. So you'll have a timestamp down to the minute and second documenting they received it. Because the big game the insurers play is you then don't hear from them. And you call up and customer knows service says, oh, we show no record of you appealing this. And you say, well, I did blah, 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 blah. And they'll say, oh, wait, 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 yeah, yeah. Send it in again. So you humor them. You send it in again. Then there's another step. And I recommend you do this even if you're with a large employer, which means they're not covered by state insurance departments. But uh, roughly, I'm trying to remember what percent of people have real insurance versus employer medical reimbursement plans that masquerade as insurance. But with the state insurance department, you can file a complaint against an insurer, and that sends it a different way to the insurance company. And suddenly, oh, we see your appeal. Doesn't mean you're going to win, but it gets you a hearing. If you call a state insurance department or go online to file a complaint about an insurer, a claim, and they say, oh, no, we don't cover you because you're blah, 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 you're on your own, then you start having to use alternative tactics. And alternative tactics mean social media, where you are talking about it at your employer, go to human resources or whatever they call what they are, the HR department, whatever it is, see if you can get any contact from them of uh, what they usually call an executive contact at the insurer and see if you can get to someone who will actually look at your situation. You may need documentation from a doctor, from a specialist, or a lab to provide to the insurer as part of the appeal. If you keep trying different angles, odds go up and up and up that a claim that was denied will in fact be processed. The problem here is that most people flat out give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Krista? This question is from Nick in Washington. My 16-year-old daughter drives to school and works near a Costco. I'd prefer she fill her gas tank there, which we agree to pay for as she drives her sibling to school, and this saves us paying for a private school bus. However, she must be 18 to be an authorized user on the Costco Visa card. I can get her a household membership card and have her use our Fidelity 2% cash back or other card but I was wondering if you knew of a workaround to be able to use the Costco Visa for the 4% off of gas. It's also very nice that Costco Visa will separate out charges by user on the billing statement, which our Fidelity card and Southwest Rapid Rewards card do not. So first of all, just so you know, 16, she's not really allowed at the pumps at Costco. And Costco has been cracking down inside asking to see ID before you're able to use your card. We had a big blow up from people about that. But at the gas pumps, I've not seen them doing that. So your idea of her having a family card and using it at the gas pump and then paying with another card, Fidelity, at least you're getting 2% back. That's a benefit to you. Jim in Wisconsin says, I have enough money saved to pay off my student loans of $35,000. However, my savings are currently earning 5.05% interest. The loan's interest rates range from 35 to 4.65%. 
Do you recommend that I make the minimum monthly payments and take advantage of the higher interest rate in my savings, or should I simply pay off the loans? So you're not really earning the 5.05 after tax because the money you're earning in savings, you're having to pay ordinary income tax on it. Don't know what your overall tax bracket is, Jim, but you're paying ordinary income tax, which will lower the effective interest you're earning on the savings significantly lower than the 5.05%. That's what the Mm -hmm. 5.05 you said. So at least taking money and paying off the student loan that's at 4.65%. It said they range three and a half to 4.65%. Yeah. So the 4.65%. I think that's a no-brainer. You just pay that off. The three and a half would be a wash. You could pay it off, know you're done with your student loans, or you could just pay off the higher interest rate student loans, continue to earn on most of your savings a spread that even after tax, you'd probably have a benefit above the 3.5. So either is a viable option. Timothy in Wisconsin says, I love the podcast. I wanted to share something I recently discovered that is now saving us about $600 per year. A prescription drug that I've been taking for several years is a combination of two drugs in the same pill. After changing insurance providers this year, our new insurance policy did not cover that prescription. Even using GoodRx, this prescription was costing me $50 per month. After doing some research, I discovered that my prescription drug plan covers each of the individual drugs at no cost to me. After consulting with my doctor, he rewrote the prescription to the two separate drugs, and these are now completely covered by my plan. Isn't that fantastic? Saving 600 bucks a year. Another wrinkle on this, I was prescribed a medicine recently that I knew was also available over the counter. But the one that I was prescribed was twice the strength, twice the dose of the -the over-the-counter. I just bought the -the over-the-counter and took two each time instead of one, and it saved me so much money. Love it. That's not a surprise, is it? No, it's not a surprise at all. Yeah, there are all kinds of tricks. Didn't you tell me recently that you were a little worried about GoodRx? Because oh, because they signed a deal with Walgreens. I'm I'm a little worried that GoodRx is going to become a Walgreens captive, and we'll have to see over time what happens with that. Because GoodRx has been a great tool in the money saving toolbox for people buying prescriptions, and we'll have to see if this new partnership with Walgreens is a net negative in the marketplace that they become instead of a free market entity, a captive of Walgreens. And I don't care what their PR spin is, only time will tell how that partnership plays out. Coming up ahead, we're going to talk about first-time home buyers and the challenge you face in the marketplace. How do you handle it? And I want to give you some suggestions. A new report from Realtor.com says that right now is the best time of the year to buy a home. That early October is the best time. But the reality is, with the overall picture, especially for a first-time home buyer, this time's brutal. And the marketplace recognizes that's how you're feeling. Because home sales are declining right now. Prices, not yet. 
But home sales are declining. We've got these very high, not by historical standards, but of recent times, we have very, very high mortgage rates with rates uh, 7% plus or minus on a mortgage and home prices way up from four years ago. And that is a absolute disastrous combination for people's wallets. Different for somebody who owns a home, owned it a long time, let's say you own it free and clear or mostly, uh, roughly a third of people own their homes free and clear somewhere right in there. I mean, in that case, you sell a home, you're selling at inflated prices. You don't have to worry about mortgage rates likely because what you're buying next is, uh, I'm assuming, you might be able to pay cash for it, trading one for another, and the marketplace is not hurting you because you got an upside price on selling, a downside price on buying, but they wash. But what about somebody who owns nothing and you want to own that first home? The marketplace is absolutely not your friend. I was stunned recently. I don't remember where I saw it, but I read stats that people are actually looking at buying a home and moving to a completely different part of the country just because they want to own a home and they can't afford it where they are. The difficulty of that is you may get somewhere and you're like, yeah, the houses were cheaper, but I sure hate living here. And that's why even in that case, I want you to test drive a market, renting for a while to see exactly where you want to live and all that, because home prices aren't going anywhere now. Home prices are not going to escalate. Home prices are going to stall for a while. Some markets, they'll go down. Others, they'll go up a little bit. But the market is stalled out. We have all these people in homes with these ultra inexpensive interest rates on mortgages, and they're house locked. Because how do you go from being in a 2 or 3% mortgage to move somewhere else and have a 7% mortgage? The math does not work because you give up something that's an incredible deal, maybe a once in a lifetime kind of deal, and then you go to at market rates, pass brutal. So as hard as it is for me to say, if you are a first-time home buyer and you're tired of renting and you want to buy a place, rent for a while longer because over time, incomes will make housing more affordable as incomes rise over time. And if I'm right, and I believe I am, two factors here. One, home prices are going to stall or have stalled. Two, mortgage rates are not going back to 2 or 3%, but they will decline over time. When the Federal Reserve has clearly won the case against inflation, Interest rates on mortgages will decline. The Federal Reserve does not control mortgage rates. They might control other rates that affect your wallet, but mortgage rates, the marketplace is pricing them based on inflation and also the federal budget deficit is pushing rates up. If we can get our federal budget under control, who knows? But inflation, we will get under control. That alone will cause rates over time to decline. So right now, even though today may be when you want to buy a home, there's a clear advantage in the marketplace to hold off, buyer strike, and sellers may find 
the people who have to sell, okay, I'm going to have to cut the price of this home. And mortgage rates eventually decline. That combination may make making that sacrifice to buy a home more manageable, more affordable for you. And something that we talked about before, roughly 20% of mortgages in the marketplace are somehow related to government-issued mortgages that are assumable at non-escalating rates. That is a potential opportunity in the marketplace for a buyer that would override what I've said about waiting. If you can find a home that has an assumable non-escalating loan and you can buy that home at the old rates, not the new mortgage rates. Okay, time for questions. This one's from Nate in Connecticut. I have a 2003 Honda CRV with 180,000 miles on it. I won't lie, I beat on it. I know I need a new radiator, possibly a new engine. Um, pretty sure the gaskets are blown. Oh. Something's up with my catalytic converter and have an exhaust leak, and I also need to replace the suspension. I was quoted $300, including labor for the radiator replacement, $1,100 for the labor on the engine swap. The engine itself would probably be another 1000 I haven't gotten any thousand? of the, Yeah. That sounds really cheap. It does. I haven't gotten any other quotes for the other stuff. I was planning on just buying a new used car, but it seems like only sedans are for sale. From what I see, the price of these used cars would be the same as just to fix mine up. Even if I get a new used car, that thing would also need work. I love my car, especially since it's older, but it's also a tank. (laughs) To me, this decision seems tough. So there is a distortion in the vehicle marketplace right now that the deals as they were on vehicles used and new are all sedans. We have moved so heavily to a crossover culture in the U.S. It's like I heard them referred to as the modern station wagon, that people love sitting a little higher. They love the car-based SUVs. They drive like a car, but you have more interior space, all that. There's an obvious marketplace movement to these. So that means used vehicles, when sedans were a much bigger part of the market before, the only vehicles that are not outrageously priced buying used are sedans. So if you know the history of this vehicle, you know what lemons it has in it that you're going to fix, you're going to spend more probably than the remaining market value of a 20-year-old Honda CR-V but it only has 180,000 miles on it, which is fairly low for a Honda. (sighs) You could spend this money that, who knows, 5,000 or less, knowing that's more than what the likely value of it is. And as long as you get another year out of it, it's a victory because you'll be net even on the cost. And over the next year, the marketplace is going to steadily is it's gradually doing become more favorable for buying a used vehicle or buying a new vehicle. If you decide to buy a new crossover of some kind, the marketplace conditions are improving. The average day's supply of vehicles on dealer lots now has crossed the 50-day mark. 60 is considered to be normal equilibrium in the car market. So new vehicles are getting closer and closer to being at equilibrium, meaning 
that the crazy prices people have been paying for new are gradually going away and prices will normalize over time. Assad in Arizona says there's a growing advice on social media to invest in rental property instead of running a 529 account for your child. What? Is there any drawback to this idea? We're expecting our first child next month and still debating if we want to open a 529 for the baby because we already have a rental property and we'd name it for the child. Also, your thoughts on an LLC for rental property. Let me deal with the last thing first. I love LLCs uh, for rental property, an individual LLC for each rental property you have, never more than one in that LLC, a single issue LLC, sometimes it's referred to. Having rental properties versus a 529, that's not even an apples to oranges comparison. That's like different universes. A 529 plan is just an account you put money in it may have upfront state tax benefits and will grow tax-free be spent tax-free for eligible college expenses if your child chooses not to go to college starting next year a substantial amount of the money in 529 can be moved tax-free into the child's Roth account it's just the greatest thing to be able to do this if your family culture is college, 529 plans are so good now, the direct sold plans, they're a great way to pay for college. And we have our updated 529 plan guide at Clark.com. It's Clark.com slash 529. Thank you, Krista. And what state are we talking about? Arizona. Arizona has one of the good plans. It's on the Dean's list. And also you get a state tax benefit in Arizona. So you get an upfront benefit, it grows tax-free, you spend it tax-free, or it goes tax-free into a Roth up to 35 grand into a Roth. Rental property, completely different purpose, completely different thing in life. And I love rental properties. I have rental properties right now. I used to have far more and right now I only have two. But rental properties are a great thing. But I have those and in addition, I had 529s for all three of our kids. So both are valuable at the same time. I wouldn't look at a rental property as the either or to doing a 529. David in Georgia says, I live in an apartment community. My landlord sent an email to residents informing us that we are no longer allowed to make partial rent payments. This prevents me from splitting my rent payments each month between a credit card and my checking account and presents a financial hardship. Do they have the right to do this? As long as I am paying my rent in full and on time, do they really have the right to restrict me to only one payment source each month? Unfortunately, yes, unless your lease does not permit it. So they may be able to say it on a future lease, but maybe may not be allowed to do that on your current lease. In the lease, it would have to have a section that very specifically talks about partial rent payments. In many states, landlords will not accept partial rent payments. In fact, if you pay part of the rent, they will return it uncashed to you because it affects their rights if they were going to try to go through an eviction process or proceeding against you. So the landlord would have the ability to do this 
on a future lease automatically where they say they don't accept partial payments. Whether they can do it on the lease you're already in is an open question that requires you when you're really wide awake to go through your lease and find what it says about payments. Odds are this is a policy they've implemented across complexes they own, knowing that most people would never go see what their rights were in the lease they have. But can a landlord do this in a lease? Absolutely require that rent can only be paid in full, no partial payments accepted. And I'm really sorry that that's causing a potential hardship to you. But again, go check your lease because they may not be able to do it until that lease runs out. And remember that what we're about here is you being empowered with knowledge so you make better choices, better decisions, and stand up for yourself. And ultimately, what I want you to do in your life is save more and spend less and always avoid getting ripped off. Have a great day.